Read today from 1 John chapter 2. I'll start reading at verse 28, and I'll read through chapter 3, verse 10. Chapter 3, verse 10. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that, in, so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because, of God, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who are the children of God, who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Let's pray. Gracious Father, as we read your word, I pray that we would be shaped by it, that our minds would be renewed, that our behavior would be redeemed, and that our thoughts would be set on things above. And God, that you'd work over the next 30 minutes or so to disciple us in your word, uh, that your spirit might help us to see the glory and the splendor of Christ more than when we walked in, so that we might walk out stronger, that we might walk out encouraged by your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, several years ago, we went, uh, our family, uh, we were with uh, another family. Uh, family, close friends of ours, and we went to watch a movie together. It was one of those animated features, uh, whatever. And, and so we went there, and somewhere along the way, I kind of got separated from the group. And, and uh, so, you know, we're going through this process of getting Dr. Pepper and getting popcorn. And that's really why you go watch a movie at the movie cinema, right? You don't go for, I mean, you can watch it at home on TV now, but uh, you go for the popcorn and the Dr. Pepper. And so... Um, we go through that process, and somehow I got separated from, you know, the, the herd, so to speak. And uh, so I'm wandering down the hallway, and uh, I, I go into a movie theater and didn't see anybody. I thought, well, I guess they just hadn't made, they must have gone to the restroom or something, hadn't made their way here. So I go in, I sit down, I think I'm reserving seats for us, and uh, a few minutes goes by, and the movie's starting to get underway, going through, you know, the trailers and stuff like that. And, and I'm looking around. I don't see anybody. I'm like, where, where is everybody? And finally, uh, I feel a tap on my shoulder, and it's one of my friend, my good friend uh, from that area. And he said, you're in the wrong movie theater. 
we're not even watching this movie. Don't you know what movie we're here to see? <laughs> and, and in fact, I did not know what movie we were there to see. I was just happily going along. I was just there. And uh, so, you know, sometimes we go through life, uh, we kind of think that uh, life is like that, where you just go through life and uh, really just whatever direction life is heading in, you just kind of go with the flow. You're just kind of there. Whatever kind of human being you're turning out to be, it's fine. Uh, whatever life you're living, it's really fine at the end of the day. You're not really too concerned about uh, your destination or how things uh, turn out in the end. And, you know, our uh, world would pump out this narrative to the world uh, that says uh, that the person you choose to be, whatever kind of life you choose to live, really it's all the same in the end. It all is to be equally celebrated. There's no real standard to live up to, no righteous standard to live up to. And this mindset preaches that all lifestyles are equally valid and morally equal. Whatever life you choose is the right one, so you should do whatever makes you happy. You should do whatever makes you feel good. Uh, you should uh, do whatever you think was going to bring joy and satisfaction to your life. But holiness uh, in this mindset is really a, a bit of a myth. It's, there's not really a standard of righteousness. Um, this is what I would call a self-centered religion where you just live for yourself. And the basic confession of a self-centered religion is, I am Lord, I am King. I am my own master. I am autonomous. I can live as I please. I get to define good and evil for myself and for others as well. And other people are just kind of obligated to go along with whatever you come up with. They're just kind of obligated to affirm whatever you come up with. And toleration is counted as the highest virtue today. We're to tolerate everybody and approve of whatever decisions they make, whatever lifestyle they choose to live. Common sense tells us that can't possibly be true. Of course, all of us intuitively know that people like Hitler uh, didn't live what we would say is a good life. Uh, all those who went along with him didn't live what we would consider a good life, that there are certain things as moral abominations in this world, certain things that are good, certain things that are evil. But we don't even have to rely upon our common sense. We can rely upon the revelation of God's word. Um, the clear teaching of the Bible is that there's good and there is Evil. You cannot be a moral relevist and affirm the teaching of Scripture. What, what I mean by that is you can't uh, believe that uh, we just determine our own values and there aren't really any universal, timeless principles, ethical principles to live by. Uh, you can't believe that and affirm the message of Scripture because right off the bat, in the early pages of Scripture, we find that God teaches righteousness. He teaches that there's good, that there's evil, that there's righteousness and unrighteousness. In Genesis chapter 3, when it talks about Adam and Eve uh, sinning, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit was, of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. So notice that progression. The fruit was good for food. In other words, it seemed right. It seemed good to eat to her. It was pleasing to the eye. In other words, it looked beautiful. It looked lovely. It looked appealing to her. And also it was desirable for gaining wisdom. In other words, it promised a, a, an experience that would lend itself to truth, to real truth, to really understanding what's going on in the world. 
Adam and Eve, like so many of us, uh, really had a skepticism towards God and felt like perhaps God's holding out on them, that, that, that God is withholding something from them and they want to be like God, knowing good and evil. I think it's a good question for you to ask. Do you think God is withholding something from you today? Do you think there's something out there, some blessing out there that God is withholding from you, that you could have a deeper happiness, a deeper joy, but God is really withholding it from you? Really, anytime we go into sin, that's what we're ultimately saying. We're ultimately saying, hey, you know, I think this is going to bring real pleasure. This is going to bring real happiness. This is going to bring real joy, even though it goes uh, against what God has said. Our passage today basically says not only is God not withholding something from us, he has prepared for us something that goes beyond anything we could possibly imagine, something so glorious, something so wonderful, something so beautiful uh, that we can't even now fully appreciate it. Notice what it says in chapter 3, verse 2. And by the way, I think if there's one verse in this entire letter that you should meditate on, you should memorize, this is it. I think... Just about his entire letter hinges on this statement. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And here's that statement, when Christ is revealed, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Man, what a verse to meditate on, to know this is your destination, this is your future, this is your destiny, that if you're in Christ, if you belong to Christ, that ultimately you will become like Christ when he appears, got some work to do between now and then, for sure. You're on this journey. You're on this path to be conformed to the image of Christ. You've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, Romans 8, 28 and 29. We're on this journey, but one day we will reach completion. We will reach that day when we'll be made like Christ. Notice what he says. He's writing to his dear friends. Again, he speaks to them so affectionately, and he calls them children of God. And notice how he emphatically uh, makes that point, chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. He's just marveling at this fact, at this reality, and that is what we are. It's like he has to drive that point home because we forget. We take for granted our privileged status as sons and daughters of God. Jesus could have just saved us and then moved on, right? He could have just saved us and moved on. He didn't have to adopt us into his family. Folks are, are uh, first responders. There are doctors and nurses. There are people all the time who physically save life, and we are so thankful for them and their service. But obviously, usually they don't adopt you into their family, this is a different level of love that God not only saves us, He not only delivers us, He welcomes us into His home as brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice that phrase, what you will be has not been made known. What you will be is not, just imagine what you will be on that day when Christ appears and you go into eternity. What will that be like? What will you be like? We've got a lot of ideas. 
got a lot of uh, different things that might rumble through our minds, a lot of things that we imagine. But he says, what we will be has not yet been made known, hasn't been revealed. So we've got some ideas, but we really fail to even comprehend what God has prepared for those who love him. What you will be has not been made known. I love this uh, statement. You are a shadow of your future self. A lot of times we talk about how we're shadows of our former self. And we think about how we used to be physically one way and strong and all these sort of things. And now as, as time goes by, as life goes by, some things begin to give way and so forth. But spiritually, spiritually, you are a shadow of your future self in Christ. Why? You will be, what you will be is like him. Notice what it says. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. We shall be like him. So whatever your destination is, that destination includes being like Christ. What does he mean by that? In eternity, Christians will be morally without sin, intellectually without error or deceit, physically without weakness or imperfection, emotionally healthy and whole and filled continually with the spirit of the living God. This is what awaits those who are in Christ. You will be filled with the spirit of the living God for all eternity to the brim. You will be complete. You will be whole. And I don't know if you've noticed, but we ain't there yet, right? When you look in the mirror, you're like, I ain't there yet, right? But even when you begin to look in the recesses of your heart and you begin to see the brokenness that you experience on a regular basis, the, the hurt that you feel, some of you are dealing with depression, some of you are dealing with addiction, some of you are dealing with loss, some of you are dealing with all number of different physical ailments or spiritual challenges or emotional challenges or whatever. You're dealing with all kinds of things. And the promise that we have right here is that one day you will be whole. You will be just like Christ in that sense. Paul writes it so beautifully in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, around that area. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. Dear brothers and sisters, we are not atheists. We are not naturalists. We do not think that just what our physical eyes see is all that there is. We're going to talk about that more today. But God has in store for us something that is beyond our imagination. Notice the reason for this change. It says, we shall be like him for, because we shall see him as he is. In other words, beholding the glory and the majesty of Christ will fundamentally change who you are as a person. It will bring out who God created you and designed you to be. That will make you whole, seeing Christ. Right now we see dimly, we see, uh, like we read earlier, we see dimly, we don't see face to face, but one day face to face. To face. Right now we have God's word. We have the Holy Spirit guiding us and leading us. But one day we will see fully even and we will know fully even as we have been fully known. And 
Paul writes in another place, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, we shall all be changed. I just want you to imagine a situation where, uh, have you ever been surprised? Maybe it's Christmas, maybe it's your birthday, and you had some expectations, okay? You had some expectations of what that was going to look like, and then for whatever reason, uh, that, that day came and it blew you away. It was far beyond what you had expected, and you got so much more, or it was just uh, such a special time in your life. There, there are certain times where we have expectations, and there are things that exceed our expectations. On the day when Christ appears, whatever your imagination tells you about that day, about how glorious he is, about what's going to happen to you, just about the whole experience, whatever your expectation is, your expectation is going to be exceeded on that day, far beyond anything that you could imagine. Why? Because you will see Christ. You will see Jesus. This is what fundamentally changes us in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, we shall all be changed. Today I want to talk about four trademarks for God's children. Four trademarks for God's children. Number one, God's children remain. So be consistent in nurturing your relationship with Christ and growing in holiness. Going back to chapter 2, verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Notice what it says, continue in him. Some translations will say abide. Some will say remain God's children remain. God's children abide. God's children continue in him. They continue to press on. We continue in Christ, meaning we stay the course. We live deeply in Christ. The philosopher Aristotle once said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but in habit. Well, Christ's likeness is not a one-time act. It's not something where you just walk the aisle one day, say a quick prayer, and then go on about your life as though nothing had ever happened. Christ-likeness is not a one-time act. It is a daily pursuit of holiness found in Christ. A daily, uh, a daily quest for you to become more and more like your king, to walk in obedience to him, to conform to his will, to where his will becomes your will. I just want to ask you, if Christ were to return, if he were to appear right now, would you rejoice? Let's just imagine that, we're, uh, that we, we dismiss and that we're all walking out the door and we're heading to our car and boom, Christ returns. Now a lot of you would be like, man, I'm so glad I'm getting caught coming out of church, amen? How wonderful is this? I'm getting caught coming out of church. This is a great time for Christ to return. But if we were to look at the overall rhythm of your life, if we were to look at the way that you think, the way that you speak, the way that you treat others, just your pattern of behavior, those things that you do, repeatedly do, is this a good day for Christ to return and find you living the way that you're living right now? Or are there some things that you need to set in place, set in motion to change? You know, the, the language here is really interesting. We, we talk about the second coming of Christ. And I just want you to, we've got a lot of ideas of what's going to happen on that day. And 
and all these different theories. But a lot of us, we imagine, you know, Christ is going to come on a white horse and, and he's got his angelic army with him. And let me ask you kind of a strange question. What do you think was happening 15 minutes before that? What do you think was happening, you know, when that moment happened, and he appeared, moment, twinkling, all that, what do you think was happening 15 minutes before that? Like, where was Christ? You see, a lot of us, we think that heaven... The central command center is like in a galaxy far, far away and that one day God the Father is going to say to his son, okay, I've had just about enough of this. Go bring my children home. And we think that, okay, he's going to mount up on a horse. He's going to travel across the galaxy or something like that and ultimately enter into our atmosphere. But that's not how ultimately the Bible talks about heaven. It's not ultimately how the Bible speaks of these spiritual things. It's a different realm, and it's a lot closer than probably any of us could possibly appreciate. The word used here is appear, reveal, as if it's something that's already close by. We just can't see it with our physical eyes. And let me just tell you this morning, there's a lot going on backstage that you can't see with your physical eyes. God is always working. He's always moving. Whether you see it or not, whether you feel it or not, He's always moving. Turn over with me to kind of a strange Old Testament story, but 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. This story has always stuck with me for some reason. And I'll bring it up now because I think it illustrates a point, a spiritual reality that's always going on, that's always true in this world. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. We're about to observe a conflict. It says in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8, Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. None of us. My lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. How spooky would that be? Okay, verse uh, 13. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there, They went by night and surrounded the city, the city where Elisha was. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Now you just imagine this moment. The servant walks out and the whole city is surrounded. Why? Because they're looking for your master. For the prophet of God, he, the, the, all this army is here for this one person. Listen to what he says next. Don't be afraid, verse 16, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now let's just stop right there for a moment. 
by, phys by physical sight, certainly not. That can't possibly be the case. We're outnumbered. We're surrounded. They've got this army. It's just us. There's more of us than there are of them, he says. And then it says in verse 17, look at this. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elijah had asked, and the story goes on. But here's the point I want to make for you this morning. There's a lot going on that you don't see with your physical eyes. We walk in this life by faith, not by sight. One day when Christ appears, it'll be by sight. All of these things we've been reading about, we've been studying, we've been imagining, we've been visualizing. One, one day all of that will come true and we'll be able to see it just like Elisha's servants, just like his servant. But in the meantime, how are we supposed to operate? We're supposed to walk through our life knowing that greater is he who is within us than he who is within this world. Knowing that we have on the full armor of God, there's a reason we put on the full armor of God because there's a spiritual battle taking place. And if God be for us, who can be against us? We walk by faith, not but now, if it was up to me, boom, God show us everything. Okay, show us everything so, so that we can see what's going on. Why can't we just skip past this and get to the good part where we see all of that? Because right now, God is working on our faithfulness, on our trust, on our faith in Him. He's forming you into a peculiar kind of person. He's forming you into a certain kind of godly man or godly woman that trusts Him. And in this life, you go through times of suffering. You go through times of trouble and affliction. And as you do, you lean on Him and you begin to understand the compassion and the love of God in a way that you never would if we fast-forwarded through this whole part. We remain, we abide in Christ. I love something, before we move on, I love something that Robert Murray McChain said. He said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room... I would not fear a million enemies, yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. How many of you have been encouraged by the prayer of someone, a godly brother or sister in Christ, a godly saint, and that's made you stronger because they prayed for you? And they reminded you of something that's true that goes beyond what your eyes can see, and that empowered you, it strengthened you, but I want you to imagine the Lord Jesus Christ Himself interceding for you because He is. We read earlier in chapter 2, He is our advocate. He is our atoning sacrifice before the Father. He is always interceding for you. And so you are to walk in confidence. Notice again what it says in 1 John chapter 2, so that when He appears, we may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming. Why? Because we have been abiding, we've been remaining, we've been continuing in Christ. Number two, God's children reflect. God's children reflect Dwell constantly on what God has done and who you are in Christ. Part of the 
way that we understand our current reality is by remembering the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what it says in chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. He's reminding us of the great love of God. Jesus came on a rescue mission to save us, to make us whole. He saw us in our brokenness and our despair, and He cares about that. When God looks down upon us from heaven, He sees us in a mess. He's not, well, you got yourself into that mess. Good luck getting yourself out of it. We've heard those words from people who don't care about us before, haven't we? Some of us have spoken those words, right? Okay, we have. But that's not the heart of the gentle, lowly Savior that's in heaven who sees us in our brokenness and our weakness and He's drawn to us. He cares about us. He overflows with compassion. For God so loved the world that He sent His Son so that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life because it's not God's desire for you to perish, but for all to be saved and to come to a knowledge of Him. And we need to reflect on that fact. We need to reflect on God's love. What does God's love look like? It looks like a Savior hanging bloody on a cross. Physical eyes, again, physical eyes looks like defeat. But Revelation 12 gives us the backstory. Gives us the backstory that in that moment a dragon is being slain. You can't see it if you're standing at the foot of the cross. You can't see all the spiritual things going on around it. Revelation 12 tells us a dragon is being slain in that moment. God is winning in this moment. God is proving his love for the world so that for generations to come, people will gather on the far side of the sea just like this, and we will gather to continue to worship King Jesus because we know that's not the end of the story that he died on the cross, that God raised him from the dead. He is King of kings and he is Lord of lords to this day. And that king is interceding for you. He's interceding for me. He didn't just down the cross. It wasn't like he just said, it is finished and I'm done and that's the end of the story. He continues to intercede for us even now. God's children reflect on this. They dwell constantly on what God has done and who we are in Jesus Christ. Number three, God's children remove. God's children remove, take immediate action to put away sin and destroy the devil's work. Notice what it says in 1 John 3, 3. It says, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. You don't make a habit of sinning. You deal with it. You take immediate action because you remember the great love of God. You remember that Christ is coming, that he sees us, and you want to honor him. And today, folks, you're either an ambassador for the devil or you're an ambassador for Christ, but there's no in-between. There's no in-between. There's no gray area. There's no lukewarm area for you to exist in. You're either representing the work of the evil one, or the work of King Jesus. And so the time for spiritual procrastination is over. You simply cannot afford to procrastinate. Some of us, we've been dealing 
with sinful strongholds for decades. What if today you begin to take seriously those sinful strongholds? We've been talking about this the last couple of weeks because it just keeps coming up in, the, in this uh, epistle in John. Okay? Well, what if you began to take seriously those sinful strongholds in your life and you began to form an action plan? You began to figure out how to deal with these things to remove them from your life. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. If you're becoming like Christ, then you're denying self, you're picking up your cross, you're following after him. You're crucifying those worldly, fleshly desires and you're walking in newness of life. You are buried with Christ and you're raised to walk in newness of life. That is your promise, that is your destiny in Christ. There is a righteous standard for you to live by. Finally, number four, trademark number four, God's children remember. God's children remember. Care for others and value others above yourselves. Notice verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Why did Christ appear the first time? Christ appeared the first time, it says, so that our sins might be removed. And then he says, again, he repeats the same thing again. He says, to destroy the work of the evil one. The evil one wants you to stumble. He wants you to fall. He knows that there's this righteous, holy standard that brings joy and brings life, light, and love. He knows that, and he wants to lure you off. He wants to tempt you away and and give you promises of life elsewhere, of light elsewhere, of love elsewhere. And it's propaganda. It's a lie. It's not the truth. God's children remember They remember who Christ is. They remember his way, his truth, and his life. And ultimately, they care for others and value others above yourselves. Anyone who does not love their brother and sister, notice his clarity on what he means, in part, is those who don't love their brother and sister. As children of God, we are called to love our brother and sister in Christ because guess what? God loves them. I believe that there's not a soul in this room that God does not love. I believe God loves each and every one of you. I believe that God is more for you than you are for yourself. I believe God is more for me than I am for myself. We have a bad habit of self-sabotage, of self-destructive activity, of things that harm us spiritually. We know the right thing to do, and yet sometimes we don't do it. Christ is more for you than you are for yourself. And so you've got to listen to his word. You've got to trust in his word. And you've got to know today that as we leave this place, you walk by faith, not by sight. Things are not as they seem or not as they appear. Let's bear our heads and close our eyes this morning. In the early service, someone walked the aisle. And they, came, they professed Jesus as Savior and Lord of their life. They're going to be baptized in the coming weeks. As you're sitting where you are today, you might begin to take into account that, hey, at any moment Christ could appear. That you say, hey, I I believe this book is true. I believe it's God's word. I believe it's inerrant. It's infallible. That if it makes a promise, it's going to come true. 
whether I feel it or not, whether I see it or not, it's going to happen. And so maybe today you would just begin to reflect on your own heart and see and ask yourself, are you in right standing before God? And if not, I invite you this morning, don't procrastinate, don't wait till tomorrow, don't wait till next week. I invite you today to make a decision for Christ. Gracious Father, thank you for bringing us together. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that every person here would be able to walk through those back doors with a clean conscience. They'd be able to walk through those back doors as whole as we can possibly be this side of heaven with your peace flooding their hearts and their minds because they know that you are for them, that you are the gentle shepherd who calls us, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. You are the friend of sinners. You restore, you redeem. You set us on a good and righteous path. And so, Father, I pray that every person here knows you. They would know the deep and abiding love of Christ that they could walk out as children of God today. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. The altar's open if you want to come trust in Christ or be baptized as a believer or join the church. Or maybe you just need to come kneel at the altar as some others did in their early service and just say, God, I'm recommitting myself to you and to your purposes for my life right now to walk by faith and not by sight. Let's respond as the Spirit moves right now.